Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. We're going to begin our reading at verse 7 and read through the end of the chapter. Our focus tonight is from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. But we'll begin reading at verse 7. 1 Kings 17, verse 7, what we hear now is God's word. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a jar full of flour, in a, a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no, there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. 
And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. We are continuing in our study of the life of Elijah, a record of God's ways with his people, a record given to us not only to learn about events uh, that took place long ago, but a record given to us to help us in our walk with God, and more particularly, uh, to point us to the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. We have seen throughout this uh, series so far the theme of the power of the Word of God. And we're going to see that once again tonight. The power of God's Word, so powerful even to bring life to one who was dead. And of course, that, that already draws our minds forward to what God would do in the life of His own Son, giving life to one who was dead. We saw that Elijah appeared upon the scene somewhat unexpectedly. He came with that word of judgment, there will not be dew or rain except at my word, and then God takes him out of the land. God takes him away to a brook. God's word leaves, but the word is preserved. First preserved by the brook and by birds who feed him, and then preserved through a pagan widow. And now we come to this story tonight. More events in the life of that widow and, and in the life and death of her son. And that same theme comes through. The power of the Word of God. A power that points us to the work of Jesus Christ. I would suggest that this is somewhat an unexpected death. Now, we don't know how, much lo how long has gone by since the previous story. It just says in verse 17, after this, uh, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and the illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. I say this is an unexpected death, not because it happened suddenly, the text gives us the impression that he became ill, uh, he kept getting worse. Uh, it was not as if he died all of a sudden. He kept getting worse and worse. So it's not an unexpected death because it was a sudden death. But I would suggest it's an unexpected death because of where it took place. This death takes place in the house where the prophet of God is staying. God is keeping his word alive. He kept that word alive by the brook, and now he keeps that word alive in Zarephath. This is a house of life. This is a house where, where there is blessing. They have food to eat every day. There may be famine outside, but there's food in the house. And, and that's why this seems so unexpected to us. This widow and her son have been living under the blessing of God, it would seem. And now, now unexpectedly, the son becomes ill and he gets worse and he dies. 
a strange place for a death to take place. God had blessed this home, but he had blessed this home for the sake of the prophet. There was life in this home because God was going to keep his prophet alive. And that blessing for the prophet overflowed to the woman and her son. But the blessing was not for their sake. The blessing was for the prophet's sake. And it's very easy for for the world to get that confused. We see things happening today where God is caring for his people. And yet that care will spill over to the unbeliever, we might say. We live in a time of relative peace from war in our land. Now that's a blessing for the believer. But it overflows to the unbeliever as well. They still live in the same land that we do. We live in, in Southern California where it was another beautiful, gorgeous day today. But those blessings are for the believer. And they, they spill over to the unbeliever. The thing is, very often, the unbeliever begins to think they deserve the blessing of God. They deserve what God is giving. Rather than recognizing the unbeliever deserves no blessing at all, deserves only curse. But for the sake of the righteous, God is gracious, and those blessings overflow. It was for the sake of Elijah that there was life in this house. Not, first of all, for the sake of the widow and her son. And so, in this unexpected death, the son dies. He becomes ill, his illness gets worse, and finally we read, and there was no breath in him. And the widow responds, and I would say in a very natural, normal way. She says to Elijah, verse 18, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. A very natural response. We can almost live into that response. But, but this woman needs to be instructed. She believed that somehow she deserved the blessing of God, as if God owed her something. But she will need to be instructed in the true way in which God acts toward those who are his own and those who are not. It's a tragedy in her life that causes this, this confusion in times of tragedy, the world, she's a pagan woman, remember, the world will never properly understand the ways of God without instruction. She says, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance? In other words, what have I done that my son has been killed? Now, to be sure, there are times where our sinful choices have very direct consequences in our lives. 
But that's not always the case. She says basically, what have I done that, that you killed my son? Or to put the question a little differently, you've brought my sin to remembrance. Haven't I done enough to avoid this? Haven't I been good enough that, that this should not happen to me? The woman is looking for her answers in this tragedy in the wrong place. She's looking to herself. Are you bringing my sins to account? What have I done that this has happened to me? Haven't I done enough to get me out of this? She begins by looking at herself and blaming Elijah and blaming God. Rather, rather than looking to God and confessing his power and his control, she needs to be instructed that, that even in a time of tragedy, the loss of her son, God is still working his purposes out, although she may not see that. The tragedy itself becomes an entrance for the gospel. She responds very naturally with frustration. Why is this happening to me? The prophet himself uh, responds somewhat similarly, but I say similarly in that he too seems surprised at this death. Verse 20, And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? He too is surprised at what's going on. He's surprised at the death. But rather than beginning to ask about whether he has done enough to avoid this, he turns to God in prayer. He recognizes God's control. O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Rather than saying, look, this shouldn't have happened to me. I should be able to buy my way out of this. He turns to God and trusts God's perfect providence and trusts God's power and prays that God might act even beyond belief. Give this child his life back once again. Prayer does matter. Now, I can't explain to you exactly tonight how, how our prayers work perfectly into God's sovereign will, but we know that they do. God hears our prayers. God is powerful to answer our prayers. And, and it's, it often seems in times of tragedy that that, that truth becomes a reality for us. In times of tragedy, even the widow, even the unbeliever will say, what is God doing? What's going on here? And then we have the opportunity to help with that instruction, to teach, to teach the lessons God wants us to learn in times of difficulty, in times of tragedy. We see lessons learned in this text. Lessons learned by Elijah and lessons learned by the widow. Elijah 
in response to the death of this child. Elijah now, really for the first time in our story, is called into action on behalf of the widow and her household. Again, from verse 19, And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even on this widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The death of the child drives Elijah to act drives Elijah to act and to plead with God and to be a messenger from God to this dead life and to the widow. Now, as I said earlier, we don't know how long there was between our last story, which talked about there being food in the household for many days, and this story. But what I find interesting is that However long it was, we have no record in Scripture that Elijah ever interacted with her, ever spoke to her as the prophet of God. The Scriptures don't tell us that. It could have taken place. We don't know that. It's now in tragedy that Elijah is called to action and to show the power of God and to show that his word is true. Today, we live in a time of difficulty, a time of, some might say, tragedy, as we face difficulties around us. And and it's in these times, in these times in particular, that the people of God are called to speak, are called to direct the world to the fact that there is a God who is in control, who is working His purposes out, even if we don't see it. I think sometimes we're afraid to engage with our unbelieving neighbors or unbelieving co-workers because we're afraid they're going to ask us, what is God doing right now? And we have no answer for that. We can be honest about that. I do not know what God is doing right now, but I know He is acting. And I know He is still in control. Nothing that's happened in the last year has surprised Him. We don't have to be ashamed that we cannot answer for God. Who of us can get into His mind? But we confess by faith Even in times of difficulty, in times of tragedy, we still believe God is in control. And He has the power to do all things in accord with His perfect will. That is our confession. Elijah is called into action. Not to miss the opportunity to demonstrate the power of God and the love and the mercy of God. Oh, we must be so careful not to miss any opportunity that God gives to us. Oh, no, we cannot answer for what is in his mind, but we can certainly say we believe 
and we are convinced that our God remains in control, that Jesus Christ remains on the throne. Perhaps God is calling us into action now to open our mouths, to speak those fundamental truths. We believe in God, a sovereign God, who does all things well. Elijah learned that through this tragedy, he needed to be called into action. The widow learns things as well. And we see that in the confession that she makes. Verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. Now I know. Because you have brought life to death. Now I know that you're a man of God because I have seen the power of God active in you. Now remember, she had already seen what we might say a figurative giving of life in the place of death. She was going to make a little cake, she was going to have a little snack with her son and die. And God worked powerfully to preserve her life and the life of her son and the life of the prophet. She had seen figurative life from death. Now she sees literal life from death. Now I know you are a man of God and, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. I know the power of your God. I know the power of that word which you speak on his behalf. Again, that theme of the power of the word of God running its way through the Elijah cycle. And that same word is powerful for us today. She would see a resurrection from the dead. And by the way, this is the first time in Scripture that we have the record of anyone being brought back to life. This is the first time in Scripture we have someone being raised from the dead. And that in front of a pagan woman. That to demonstrate the power of God to an unbeliever. She, she would learn that lesson that with God nothing is impossible. You know, sometimes people say, you know, if only God would do these types of things again. If, he, if we would still see people dying and being raised from the dead again, well, then we'd believe that there's a God. Then we'd believe he's in control. We don't need God to do this again. For he, he brought back to life his own son. His own son who came here, who was truly human, who lived a real life, who truly died, who truly was buried, and whom God raised again from the dead. We don't need more resurrections. Jesus Christ was raised. He came back to life. And we see that that 
power, the overflow of what Christ did, even in our own lives. We are those who were spiritually dead, unable to do anything to to reach out to God. And He comes to us, and He gives us new life. This is the beauty. This is the picture that we we are drawn to. Jesus Christ and His resurrection, and in Him our resurrection. Resurrection to a new life. Nothing we did, nothing we could offer, nothing we could purchase from God. We were dead in transgressions and sins, and He came to us and gave us new life. And God continues to do that today. That resurrection goes on. He calls out tonight to all who hear this message from His Word, from the power of His Word, that if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, that resurrected Son, that you too will be raised to new life. And then in times of tragedy, you will know hope, you will know assurance, you will know comfort. For you know a life not only in this life, but a life in the life to come. God's power, God's promise, God's word is all true. We see it in the resurrection of this son of the widow. but We see it more perfectly in the resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. God speaks to us through the life of Elijah. Elijah who points forward to God speaking to us in the death and resurrection of his son that Son who continues to call us to trust more fully, even in times of difficulty, even in times of tragedy, to confess, now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true, that God is ever faithful to each and every one of his promises. May that word give us hope and give us comfort. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are so thankful to you that you've left us a faithful record of your way in the life of your people. And we know, O God, that that record does more than tell us about Elijah and about a widow and about her son, but it points us to your son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. O Lord God, strengthen our faith. Even in times of trial and tragedy, may we confess that you are the God who is in control and working your purposes out. And we know that the word, O God, from your mouth is always true. All your promises are yes and amen in your Son, Jesus Christ, including the promise of life and life everlasting. Oh, we praise you for your glorious word, Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake, amen.